Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So with today's entrepreneur, with today's guest, definitely we're going to be learning quite a bit of jumping from industry to industry. I mean, we've seen people like that, you know, like Elon Musk doing the knowledge transfer where they are able to apply certain concepts that they learn on one area and then apply it to the next and definitely gives you an edge. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Demetri Caragas. Welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to chatting. So born in Texas. So how was life growing up there? It was very different than, than I guess, what, in my current life in, in New York City. Although, interestingly enough, we're all living through quite a, you know, quite a year in 2020. So I'm back in Texas right now. But it was good. I mean, uh, you know, it was I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, a smaller town uh, in South Texas and lived there my whole life until I actually went to, to school in New York City. It was I'd only been to New York for, for three days before deciding to go to college there, but no, it was it was a great place to grow up. And anyone anyone in the family, Dimitri, that was in in maybe building businesses or the entrepreneurial thing, or would would you develop that later? How did that happen? Even from an early age, like when I was in high school, I, I you know would would buy and sell things here and there. I actually had a uh, created a surf company for a while when I was in high school. I did that. You know, my my father's a physician, so. You know, I knew pretty early that uh, I probably wasn't going to become a doctor uh, due to, you know, I don't like blood and things like that. But, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I've now ended up in the healthcare space myself. So not a doctor, but, you know, in some ways following in those footsteps. So in, in your case, you know, you definitely followed the path and that path took you to New York City and uh, you studied there finance and history in NYU. So why why combining those two? <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting. I knew I, I I went to NYU because I I had seen that, you know, Stern was a was a great business school and and I didn't uh, you know, coming from South Texas, I I was not familiar with things like investment banking and stuff like that, but when I got to NYU, I saw that I learned that if you go to NYU Stern, you you major in finance, right? So I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And while that was interesting, you know, I, I found that um, things like I also enjoyed kind of being able to see, you know, do some of the other things in, in, in being a college like NYU, where it is such such a broad spectrum of things. So I took, I ended up taking a lot of different classes, and what I could ended up uh, turning it into like a second concentration was history. And you know, I think you can learn a lot from 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 the past. So 
decided that that would be a good a good balance to uh you know the 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 finance work that I did at, at Stern. And in your case, it took uh it took no time. I mean, you saw a little bit of of corporate America. You did a little bit of the nine to five, but then decided that perhaps there was something else for you. So tell us about that process. Yeah, no, it it, it was interesting. You know, it was actually even while I had what you know. Steve, my co-founder, and I like to refer to the period of having real jobs. Uh, we were we were actually already kind of moonlighting, if you will, on our on our first company. And I think we kind of started doing that towards the tail end of our time at school. We started thinking about ideas and started kind of playing around with things. And then when we started the first company, coming out of school, we you know we had jobs. We needed a way to fund it, right? So we kind of used our our salaries to to do that for a while until you know what really kind of caused us to to take the leap, if you will, was uh, we ended up kind of getting this was. You know, years ago when kind of accelerators and stuff like that were just getting started, but we were actually in the in the very first class of accelerator called the Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator in New York City. Um, and when we got in there, you know, uh, part of the condition was like, "Hey guys, you know, you gotta you gotta do this full time." And and so that's for us what kind of you know we left our 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 real jobs, uh, uh, so to speak, and, and and dove right in. So in this case, what was what was that process of diving right in? Because you were used to corporate America, the nine to five. You know, the you turn the lights off, you go to sleep at night, and everything is good. So in this case, you know, like you you turn the lights, and everything is coming back with you. So uh, was it was it a tough journey? You know, first to making that leap, and then to really understanding what the product or the service would look like. Lucky for us, I guess you could say, was that since we had been kind of. Uh, moonlighting on the company anyway, we had kind of knew the the work that was going to be involved. Um, but look, we were young, we didn't have a lot of experience, we we made a lot of those mistakes that that, you know, people people often make uh, early on, but but we learned a lot. And, and there's no way to learn more quickly, I think, than building a company, right? The education that you get there is just immense in terms of, uh, you have to learn quickly, right? You have to kind of figure out how to get to product market fit, how to build a team, you know, how to get customers and all these things. And, and, and it's never a, it's never a straightforward, it's never a straight line or, a or, or, you know, and always up and to the right, right. Despite what you may see in pitch decks, but uh, it's, it's a great experience. And, and uh, we learned, uh, we learned a lot very quickly. I would say probably in that first year after going full on, I, I think I probably learned more than, than my entire time at Stern and, and nothing against my time at Stern. It was a great education, but it's nothing like building a company. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so in this case, you guys went at it, started the company, which at the time was called Site Simon, and that evolved into a pivot with a rebrand that was Get Made. So can you walk us through that process of putting it on the market, then understanding that maybe you had to give it a different approach, and then what led into a pivot that ended up building the company that that you guys ended up going with? I would say pivot is a very kind word for what for what we what we did when we moved from Site Simon to get made. I think look, to be honest, I think, you know, the the idea of, of, of Site Simon was a um kind of a social based content recommendation system and and quite frankly, uh it wasn't the right time and we weren't the right team, right, to to do that. And so we we really took a hard look at it. We kind of went back and said, you know, we we had raised uh, some some funding. We still had kind of cash in the bank. We had runway, and we said, "How can we actually do something where, you know, we are the right team? We can really have an advantage going in here and and execute and build an experience that customers are going to love." And we went through kind of a series of exercises there, and that's where the idea of um, 
uh, Gitmate came about, which was a um, on-demand uh, home cleaning service that we launched in New York City. And we we kind of went that we we presented it to our investors and the team got people on board. And we said, um, okay, how how fast can we get an MVP out there? And we were able to do it. And it was remarkable, really, that once we kind of had aligned on, you know, a concept that we were really uniquely suited to execute on, the progress that we could make in a, in a very short amount of time was extraordinary. And I think that it kind of goes to show that how important it is that you, you know, you find, you know, when you're working on something that it's, it's an idea that not only is it a, an idea, or, or are you the right person to work on it, right? And I think, you know, when I take away one of the most valuable lessons from kind of our initial uh, endeavor with Site Simon is that, you know, we, we weren't right, but we, we, we went through that. We learned, we kind of had the realization uh, as we went through that by focusing on something, you know, we're both kind of more operationally minded, kind of a, a product experience minded. And, and we were able to build something that was unique in the marketplace and was able to grow quite quickly, despite the fact that, you know, we weren't spending a lot on marketing and we weren't able to do that, but it grew by word of mouth because we delivered an amazing experience. And how do you know that or come to terms with the fact that you may not be the one to, to execute? Well, when you finally realize that, it, it's, uh, it can be painful at first, but there's a realization, right? And you kind of understand that, look, this isn't working, right? And, that, and that, you know, that's this kind of thing where then we, you know, we took kind of that and we, we put our energy into figuring out something that would work, right? And then that's where we kind of were able to kind of get really excited and move towards it. But I think it's something where... You know, I think generally as a, you know, when you're building a company, you, know, you kind of have to be honest with yourself, right? You have to kind of think about, you know, w what's working, what's not working and how can we improve? And sometimes the answer is, you know, what we're working on is not the right thing, right? And I think, you know, you have to realize that there's so much, and, and I think, as I was saying, like, it was, it was pretty amazing to think about, you know, we had spent, you know, a long time kind of working towards one thing. But then when we switched, the amount of progress we were able to make in, you know, really six weeks, I think is what it took us six weeks when we when we decided to do it. We said we want to launch something in six weeks, um, kind of the initial beta. And we were able to do that. And then it was kind of off to the races from there. It takes some time to come to terms to it, but it's really about where you put your energy thereafter. So what ended up being the business model of GitMate? Yep. So, you know, GitMate was kind of launched back. It was right in the very early days of, of companies like Uber, where there was this concept of on-demand. So we actually created an on-demand home cleaning service where it was a more premium-based service where, you know, you didn't have to schedule in advance or anything like that. You could go onto your phone, uh, hit a button, and, you know, someone would be at your house within two hours to uh, to do a cleaning. We did that in New York City. Uh, I don't know, you know, it was it was really kind of built for that kind of dense urban area. And you would do that, you would pay a, a fixed rate by the hour, you know, so it was very simple, straightforward pricing, a simple, straightforward product experience. And we just tried to take something that previously uh, confusing uh, experience of trying to find places to, to get uh, a home cleaner or, or you know, uh, go through a series of different sites and stuff like that and, and call and do things by phone where we made it very easy to just do from your phone. So in, in this case, did you guys raise any money or, or what was the, the process of capitalizing the business? Yep. Well, we, you know, we had gone to Accelerator and we had raised, um, you know, an angel round at that time. And then the rest of it was just, you know, funded from that. And then we, we built a business that um, had real revenue from day one. And we were able to kind of continue uh, reinvesting that into the business to, to keep growing it. And what ended up being the, the outcome? Because obviously there was a, an acquisition that happened. 
Yeah, no, that's right. So we had, you know, we were at the point where we were starting to reach a, a pretty good scale in New York City. And we kind of had that decision point of whether we, you know, raised outside capital to continue scaling it, or we had kind of met a couple of the other companies in the space that had recently raised large amounts of capital. And we decided that, you know, what uh, the, the path that would enable us to really kind of continue executing on our vision uh, the most was to join a company called Homejoy, which was a larger company based out of San Francisco in the space. So we ended up you know, selling the company Homejoy and joining the, the Homejoy team. So what was that process for you? Because, uh, I mean, here at this point, you really have full visibility into what the full cycle of building, financing, scaling, and exiting a business looks like. And I think that when you, when you get that level of access, that exposure and that visibility, it's like everything is altered. Now, now you know how it's done. So how was that for you? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. It was obviously our first time like thinking about that sort of deal and that structure and the fact that we would be, you know, selling the company and then no longer kind of running the company, but kind of working as part of a larger organization. So it was really something to kind of go through those stages and then think about how, you know, what excited us about Homejoy was that we believed that we really had this exceptional, amazing experience, both for you know, the providers as well for the customers and, you know, Homejoy had scale and we thought we could really bring a lot of what we did from the experience side to that, to that business and, um, and, you know, but just do it at, at, at larger scale. So yeah, it was, it was, in, it was, it was, we went through that, that entire cycle, you know, in the grand scheme of things relatively quickly. And then we're able to kind of focus on, on scale, which, which then, you know, as we went beyond that to even further, it's been, it's a, it was an important part of our growth as as operators. And this obviously allowed you guys to to be part of Google because Homejoy ended up getting acquired by Google. And then in Google, you were for a couple of years. So I'm sure that now you were exposed to the startup, you were exposed to the hyper growth with Homejoy, and now you were exposed to uh, one of the biggest giants uh, in the tech space. So, so what did you get from, from the time at Google? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's a great question. I think it's really, I think it was a pretty unique experience to see, you know, we were, at the end of the day, we were solving the same consumer problem, right? Of like helping, you know, home services, uh, you know, make that process easier. And we did it, you know, like you said, from our own startup, uh, hyper growth company like Homejoy, and then, at, you know, the behemoth of Google. And, and it's interesting how, you know, there are certain things about each of those stages that are advantageous, and there's certain things that are not, right? I think at Google, what's, what's exceptional is that, you know, the, the scale and the, and the resources that are, you know, at, at, at the disposal of the teams that are, you know, allow you to have impact that can be, you know, extraordinary, but at the same time, because you are part of a much larger organization, there are certain things that, you know, can only move so quickly, right? I mean, we were working on, on the search page, which I'm, I mean, I'm not sure for certain, but I imagine it's probably one of the most profitable web pages ever created. So, there, you know, there are certain things where types of experimentation that you should not do on a page like that, right? So there's kind of you know limiting factors there. But I think it was um it was interesting to see. Uh, I think another thing that was valuable was just seeing kind of how large organizations work and how you know there are certain things you know that sometimes we think of I think in the startup world as as process and and, and things that can slow down and make you less agile. And there are certain cases where that's true in large organizations, but there are also you know. A reason why a lot of times large organizations can be successful because sometimes process can help when you have larger teams to make sure information is being um, shared effectively and make sure kind of people understand prioritization. And I think you know we were you know I was able to learn quite a bit uh, on that uh, on those topics uh, during my time at Google. 
And this was obviously the, the segue to your latest baby, to 30 Madison. So obviously, you know, it's interesting because here you are, uh, one of the, they call it like the Harvard. I mean, it's tougher to get into it that, than Harvard, no? in, in terms of like becoming an employee in, in Google. And, and here you are at one of, one of the best places to, to be working at, to really, you know, get with all the knowledge, with all the, the good people, super smart folks working there. Why and at what point do you decide it's time for me to go at it again? Yep. Well, you're right. Google is an amazing place, but I think for me, I was, uh, it was probably about a weekend where I knew that I was going to enjoy my time there. It was going to be really interesting. I would learn a lot, but I wouldn't be there forever, right? I knew I wanted to get out and and build something again because, you know, despite all the amazing things at Google, it is a massive corporation, right? So it's not something where, um, you know, any individual is going to have the level of impact that you would just at any sort of uh, uh, startup. So, you know, that was something that we started thinking about and, but, you know, had, had a lot of work to do there and, you know, had, you know, launched, I think what's an amazing, you know, helped to launch an amazing product at Google, um, but started thinking about, you know, what could potentially come next once we had kind of completed our time there. And um, there were a lot of ideas that Steve and I had because uh, we knew we wanted to build something together again. And, and many of which were, or were, you know, none of which were what became 30 Madison and many of which were not even in healthcare, but what ended up happening, just like we had seen in kind of the previous companies we had started, it came out of a personal experience, right? And, and, you know, an understanding of a, of a consumer need and started with kind of realizing that, you know, the experience for getting uh, treatment for hair loss was just, a you know, it's, it was not a great experience for people today that, you know, what happened was that Steve started losing his hair and went through this process of kind of, you know, seeing snake oil products, going down, you know, the Google rabbit hole of, uh, of, you know, researching things and not knowing what it could be and, and kind of delayed it until he got really fortunate that a family friend was one of the world leading experts in hair loss and restoration actually at NYU. And while, you know, obviously that's pretty much a, a lot of overkill for a, for a guy in his late 20s losing his hair, it was an exceptional experience to go to someone who could answer any question, right? Could set the expectations, could tell you how to think about things and what you should, you know, be looking at over the coming months as you started kind of looking to treat it and, and left feeling really great. And, and I think as we started talking, we realized that, you know, the vast majority of people are never going to have that sort of experience because there's, you know, there are simply not enough specialists like that doctor that could be able to kind of provide that really best world, best in class, world-class experience. Um, and then we, you know, obviously we also saw that, you know, that's not something that was a an issue in hair loss. It was really a more systemic problem in healthcare. When you think about chronic conditions and you think about specialized care, there's a shortage of specialists in this country. And most people don't ever have that opportunity. You know, if you don't maybe live in like a major city or, or, or even if you do, sometimes the wait times can be months to see a specialist. And we figured that there had to be a better, better way. And that's when we started looking into it as we kind of went deeper and deeper and we started understanding that, you know, what really, what we needed to build was this, you know, ability to kind of create these experiences where really end to end, we could help someone manage a particular chronic condition. That's what got us really excited. And, and we decided, you know, this is what we wanted to, to work on. And this is what we wanted to, you know, and we left Google, you know, in March of 2017 to, to start 30 Madison. And obviously, you know, when you're getting into a new industry, I mean, there's a steep learning curve. I mean, healthcare is literally, I mean, there, there's a lot of regulatory hurdles, you know, around it. So 
was it was it a tough and steep learning curve for you guys to get into a completely new and 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 space that you hadn't experienced before, perhaps as operators? I mean, it, it was, and there was a lot that we had to learn early on, and we had to learn quickly. So we, you know, it was one of those things where we just really immersed ourselves in it, right, and tried to. Uh, meet with as many people that were experts in the space. So we met with physicians, we met with people in the pharmaceutical space, we met with regulatory um, folks, we met with lawyers, we met with people to really just understand. We even, you know, early on, we actually got um, to become experts. We, you know, we got textbooks and things like hair loss and other of the, you know, kind of medical fields. We read the textbooks and we really just tried to become experts in in the field, but also kind of realized and recognized that there was value to us kind of being outsiders and not knowing how things were done before, because, you know, the system is broken in a lot of ways, right? And I think bringing kind of this perspective of saying, not trying to just say, let's improve how it works today, but let's really reimagine it. And let's really create the way we believe these chronic conditions should be treated to drive a superior outcome and do it as a cost effectively as possible in a way that can be, you know, we, we like to use the word that we, we create enjoyable healthcare experiences. I don't think enjoyable is a word that's hardly ever associated with healthcare. So, you know, it was that combination of, of, you know, becoming an expert on the things that we really needed to understand, but also bringing that outside perspective that I think has uh, really enabled us to, us to create the unique experiences um, that we have at 30 Madison. And here you've actually created a, I mean, obviously you have the company, uh, 30 Madison, but it's really a platform where there's like different business units and, and units teams. So how does that work? Because it's not the typical thing that you would think of when it comes to a, to a startup, no? Yeah, no, that, that's right. It, I think it is a, a fairly unique structure. And I mean, what, what we saw is that when, when we look at these chronic conditions, what we needed to do is create kind of experience. It's really end to end. So we have a specialist level telemedicine. We have personalized treatment delivery, we have ongoing condition management, and then we really wrap those in a brand that is is designed to, to, to really be you know relatable to the person experiencing a particular condition. And we saw that the way that we could provide the best experience, the way that we could drive the most superior outcomes was by focusing on a single condition at a time. And that was kind of where the idea of these you know, unique business units, we have Keeps that focuses on hair loss, we have Cove that focuses on migraine, and we have Evens that focuses on GI issues, you know, what's the right structure. But you know, behind that, and really what 30 Madison has built is this platform that enables the delivery of this care model, right? So it's this kind of you know, condition agnostic infrastructure that underpins the different businesses that we launch. And it kind of provides the, the core experience, whereas our business units are able to kind of focus on, again, like I said, you know, we are this, we, we see ourselves as the specialist. So we're able to focus on the, you know, the nuance of the condition and the building of the brand and really delivering that best in class experience. And it, it is in certain ways, a unique structure. And there's always kind of a, you know, I think something about startups is, is you always have to be looking at your structure. You always have to be thinking about it when you're growing, when you're growing very rapidly. Um, sometimes a structure that you may have at one point, six months later, doesn't work anymore, right? And that's okay, right? I think it's a it's a positive thing actually that you if you look at that and you evolve and and what we found is that the structure of having focused teams that are on the business are, are what allows us to kind of deliver you know as amazing of an experience as we can to our to our customers and then you know we also kind of continue to build out the platform capabilities that lets all of our businesses benefit from scale, benefit from best practices, and benefit from you know, new capabilities that we're able to invest in. 
So how do you come up with the ultimate, you know, products that you're going to be launching? You know, it kind of goes back to what, you know, where the original kind of condition that we looked at in hair loss. And we look at, we look at the market and we try to look at where, you know, the current experience of treating a condition is just very suboptimal, right? Where, you know, you think about healthcare today, there's often times where, you know, it's certainly not enjoyable and often it can even be dehumanizing, right? And we look at these, we look for conditions where we really believe that when you apply our care model, we can make a, we can make a difference. We can drive impact and we can, we can really improve the way that people are able to treat these conditions. And so there's no, there's no, there's no shortage of conditions that we want to go into, right? So it comes down to prioritizing. That's where we look at, you know, certain things around market opportunities, certain things around potential partners that we can work with, you know, certain things around, um, you know, net new capabilities that we want to build. And that's how we kind of, you know, build out a roadmap. You know, we have these three businesses today. I think, uh, you know, you'll see us launch a, a many more uh, uh, over the coming years. You know, we, we hope that we can kind of continue to drive change throughout a, the system and really transform the way that people treat a lot of these conditions. Because ultimately, the way that you guys make money and the business model, what, what's that so that the people listening get it? Yep. So, you know, like I said, our care model, we kind of have these three parts, right? Specialist telemedicine, ongoing condition management, and uh, personalized treatment delivery. And so kind of it's across those different pieces that we monetize, right? So, so when people come in, you know, they're often paying, you know, uh, depending on the treatments that they may be taking, you know, they pay some kind of form of, of, of monthly or quarterly subscription fee. Um, you know, based on the treatment that they're getting. And, and that's what we're able to, uh, to monetize. So kind of we're, you know, depending on the condition, there's different points across the, uh, the care model that we're able to monetize. But really, we have the goal of delivering a superior outcome and doing it as cost effectively as possible for the patient. Um, and that's kind of where we create value that we're then able to monetize. And in terms of, of capitalizing the business, I mean, obviously here you guys have raised quite a bit. How much capital have you guys raised today? Yeah, so we've raised uh, about seventy million dollars uh, to date through through a couple of rounds of funding. And why did you decide to choose the investors that you end up choosing? Because I mean, here you were you. This is your second rodeo. I mean, you've you've been it in in this in this journey before. So obviously, you probably knew the fact that it's not about the money; it's about who is giving you the money. So why did you think that those people that you chose were the right ones? Yeah. No, it's a great question. And it's just, it's so important as you, you know, think about, you know, bringing people, you know, on board to that, that will be your partners as you, as you build the business. And I think we've been really fortunate to have an amazing um, group of backers uh, throughout the rounds, you know, um, from, you know, first round and early round to Mavron, uh, North Sound, who, who backed us in the A and then, you know, with Polaris, uh, who led our, our series B. And what we've really thought about is when we think about the company that we're building, it really, Kind of brings together this, you know, we're we're a healthcare company, right? Thirty Madison is a healthcare company that's looking to transform the way that people treat chronic conditions, but we're also a consumer company, right? And we need we think we build consumer experiences, we build great brands. So we really thought about people that, you know, kind of, uh, you know, for investors that really understood the vision that we were building uh, and why it was important that while we're building a healthcare company, that brand and consumer experience is really important. And people that kind of understood that vision and saw that also kind of saw the potential of the business that this is something that, you know, there is a, there is a lot to do. We're in the early days of, of what we want to accomplish and people that kind of, um, you know, wanted to kind of work, uh, work with us on that for the long run. And, and we've, you know, like I said, we've been extremely fortunate to have amazing um, investors um, that are aligned on the vision and excited, uh, you know, to work with us to continue building it.
So in this case, for you guys, in terms of like size, so that people listening get an idea, anything that you can share in terms of like numbers of employees or anything else? I mean, look, it, like like we said at the beginning of our of our conversation, 2020 has been a unusual year for so many reasons. And I think one thing though, you know, despite how tragic uh, COVID has been globally, I think if you want to look for some sort of silver lining, you can think about the fact that it is changing healthcare in a lot of ways, right? Millions of people have been, um, you know, out of necessity have experienced the power of things like telemedicine and remote care. And that's something that's going to be great for patients in the long run. And it's something that's also been an accelerant to our business. So, you know, we've, we've more than doubled uh, the size uh, of our employee base since, um, since, since kind of the start of the year, we're, we're a little over a hundred employees right now. Our business has, has more than three X where, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're around a, a nine figure run rate today and growing rapidly. And, um, you know, really, I think, uh, we, we expect that 2021 will be a, a year of continued growth, uh, uh, both within our existing businesses, as well as new ones that will launch. And where do you see your, your segment? I mean, where do you see your space, you know, going as a whole? I mean, obviously you were pointing to COVID. I mean, before we never saw nurses and doctors on the cover of magazines and newspapers. And now it seems that the day-to-day basis that we're getting used to. So, so where do you see things going? Yeah. I mean, I think like, obviously I think if anything, again, you know, like you said, the fact that, you know, healthcare providers, which, you know, I am, I am not one of, but we work with many are so exceptional in terms of the work that they do both, you know, obviously during, during COVID, but also just, you know, on the day-to-day in terms of providing amazing care to patients. And I think that, you know, something that we're going to see is, is continued, you know, innovation and, and this paradigm shift that, you know, we have seen for, for some, you know, we have seen for some time and we have been b- big believers that there is a paradigm shift, that there will be more remote care. It is a way that you can provide really high quality care at scale. And I think that if anything, COVID has accelerated that by, you know, we believe something like three to five years. So this is a paradigm shift that was happening and it's only going to happen more. So I think you will continue to see these, you know, you know, obviously at 30 Madison, we believe we're, um, you know, we're doing, we're doing great work in this space, but, but more broadly, um, you'll continue to see opportunities for people to get more access to this really high quality care. And that hopefully will drive you know, drive positive health outcomes while helping to to control costs in, in 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 the healthcare space, kind of more broadly. And one of the questions that that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, if you had the opportunity to go back in time, I mean, here you are, you are now on the second rodeo, right? I mean, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship. You know, because obviously, building and scaling, you know, it's not a straight line. So you you've been exposed to it. And I'm sure that there's a ton of lessons learned along the way. But if you had the opportunity to go back in, in the time machine and have a chat with your younger self, maybe that, that, that younger self that was thinking about maybe launching a business while doing the nine to five, maybe if you had the opportunity to go to that moment and give yourself one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why knowing what you know now, Dimitri? No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good question, and I think you know, looking back, kind of, you know, as 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 I was saying, and as you just said, it's it's not a straight line. Like you're going to make mistakes, right? Nothing's going to go perfectly, and certainly nothing's going to go at all how you planned it, right? Like it's I could say that for certain. But that's part of how you grow as an entrepreneur. That's how you grow as an operator and as a leader. And I think 
you know, one thing that I've kind of realized over time is that, you know, things will go wrong, right? You will make mistakes, but it's important about how you, how you learn from that and how you kind of continue to improve and continue to kind of move forward because there can be things that, um, sometimes in the moment seem like, um, you know, how can we possibly get past this? But those will come up many, many times and you'll keep getting past them, right? So I think it's really about, you know, what I would have would say to, to my younger self is uh, that, that you, you know, you're not going to get everything right, but, but you use that as a learning experience and you move forward and it only makes you better as an entrepreneur and, you know, as a leader and, and as a founder each time you go through those experiences. So don't sweat it so much, learn from it and make sure that you improve. Um, but just, just keep moving forward and, and, um, and enjoy it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Dimitri, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm always happy to chat with, with anyone who's interested about, you know, starting a company, healthcare, uh, telemedicine, uh, you know, entrepreneurship in general. Uh, and yeah, uh, email is Dimitri at 30madison.com. Look forward to chatting with anyone. Amazing. Well, Dimitri, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much as well. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.